Well, man, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, always, always a joy to be here. And, and Pastor Mark and Brenda are some of our favorite people in the whole world. And I think you're real blessed to have them as pastors. Why don't you give them a hand? <laughs> And uh, let's, let's stand up and let's pray together. Amen. And let's thank God for great things tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are the God above all gods. Uh, Jesus, yours is the name above every name. And Lord, we thank you for the power of your spirit in this place tonight. Lord, we thank you for revealing to us by your spirit uh, the truth of your word and the power that you have to work in us tonight. Lord, we believe you're here to work in us and for us and through us. You're here to make a difference in us tonight. We thank you that we're going to leave strengthened uh, and blessed and encouraged because of your presence in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Um, I, you know, I, I'd love to tell you everything that we saw the last few weeks. Uh, my wife and I were overseas in five European nations um, since May the 14th. We just got back in uh, Monday night. And, uh, but I did want to just show you a couple pictures. Is that all right? Yeah. And uh, let's just go ahead. And uh, that is the Bible school in Geneva, Switzerland, that we uh, preached to. Spent 12 hours teaching them. Uh, six hours on Friday, six hours on Saturday. Uh, the nature of their Bible school is such that they have to do things very intensely like that. And so that's the Geneva School. The next slide is, that is preaching in Moscow, Russia. Uh, those are all Russian believers. And that is Rick Renner's church. A lot of you know Pastor Rick. Uh, they moved into that building on, oh my goodness, somewhere like late November, early December. Uh, it is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful sanctuary. Uh, four representatives from uh, President Putin's administration came and sent congratulations from uh, President Putin. And what was so cool is that each one of them, now this is back at their dedication service, uh, each one of them gave a formal greeting on behalf of President Putin. And then each of them talked about, you know, brought up some scripture and the reality of Jesus. It was, it was very, very cool. And... Um, uh, that church is probably to the Kremlin. Uh, now, R Moscow traffic can be really horrible, but it, without traffic, maybe 15 minutes. Uh, traffic, with traffic, it can be a couple hours uh, because their traffic is horrific there. But um, uh, it, very powerful services. You can see the, the, the fervency of the people worshiping God. And, uh, we had 25 people respond to the altar call that morning for uh, salvation and rededication. The next picture is that's in Germany, in Munich, and that's entirely leaders at a, at a church. Uh, didn't do a regular church service, but more than a hundred of their leaders came together for a couple of hours of teaching. And then the next session is, uh, that is Verona, Italy, where I did not get Pastor Mark any coffee. And um, by the way, in Zurich, Switzerland, our, our hotel was about a hundred yards away from a chocolate factory. <laughs> and every time we stepped out of the hotel, it was just like, you know, overpowering. 
And uh, I almost, you know, was slain in the spirit several times uh, just from the smell of the coffee. But the Italians are really vibrant. They love, you know, praise and worship and, and just real joyful. And the next picture... Uh, I've actually got some historical stuff. While we were traveling through Germany, I've always wanted to see the Martin Luther sites. And so this is a picture uh, from what's called the Wartburg Castle, or they would say the Wartburg. And uh, that is the room that Martin Luther was, they basically uh, hid him in that room and, and kept him away from the public because, you know, he was hunted. They probably were going to kill him. So they staged a fake kidnapping, and then they hid him in this room in the castle, and he was in that room for ten months. Wow. And, and it was at, in that room that he translated the New Testament into the language of the German people. And so that was really moving to be in there. Another shot of that, the next picture, is just that little, you know, area where he was. That was a stove from the kind they had way back when. Um, but that's where he was kept and protected for 10 months. The next picture, uh, it, you remember when he went to the uh, doors of the Wittenberg church and nailed those 95 uh, what they call the 95 theses to the doors. Uh, those now those aren't the original doors. They've long since been destroyed. But those that's where the doors were. Uh, the location of the doors uh, where he nailed the 95 theses to the wall. The Wittenberg Church. The next picture is uh, this was one of the most moving places for me because this is where the Luther family took their meals. And not only did they uh, take their meals there as a family, but they would often have a lot of the students and fellow ministers in that room. And uh, he would sit around, Martin Luther would sit around after dinner, and he would just talk with his students. And one of the books that has really impacted my life is a book called Table Talks with Martin Luther. And he would sit after dinner and just talk to his students. And his students would write down what he said, just about all Bible topics, ministry topics, all kinds of topics. And it's a book called Table Talks. And, and that's where it took place, right there in that room. And I think do we have one more picture. I can't remember how many more pictures we have. Uh, maybe a couple more. That's um, in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, Geneva was the, one of the main centers of the Reformation. And there are four of the uh, you know, big Reformation leaders uh, that impacted Switzerland in particular. That is John Calvin's church. And, uh, you know, that's, he was kind of the main brains behind the uh, Reformation along with Luther. I don't agree with everything he taught, but, boy, he really stood for the authority of the Bible. And I really appreciate that. But, you know, after he passed, the church got away from Scripture. They got away from the authority of Scripture. And the next picture shows something very interesting. Uh, when you walk out the doors of the church, I'm standing, taking this picture from the front uh, like porch of the church, if you will, and I zoomed in, and you can see that statue, and it's, it's a statue of the prophet Jeremiah, and he's turning away. He won't even look at the church. Uh, this was put there to show uh, the, the, the agony of God over the church getting away from the scriptures. And um, he's doubled over in pain. It looks like his hands are tied behind his back. 
The next picture uh, shows uh, from behind him looking toward the church. It's hard to tell from the shadow uh, on his face, but he's, he'd be looking right at us. Uh, he's looking away uh, from the church. And uh, is, is there one more picture? I'm trying to remember if there's one more, if that's the last one. Is that the last one? Um, okay, uh, but let me tell you something. Our driver in... Uh, it, can we go back to the picture of the sanctuary? That's a couple pictures back. Look at that sanctuary, and there's a whole lot way off to the side that you can't see in terms of seats. Our driver in Geneva told us that she had taken a couple of her family members were in town a couple years ago, and they went to a service at this church. Now, this is the church of the Reformation. Uh, this is the church where, you know, the cry of scripture, uh, Scriptura Soli, only Scripture, was so strong. And in this church on Sunday morning, uh, there were 30 people in attendance. And, and the per, the per, our driver said it was the most dead, lifeless uh, service imaginable. And during, it was a 40-minute service. And during the service, the minister said, you know, we don't really know if Jesus was raised from the dead or not. And, um, you know, so Europe is in need of revival, and that's why I'm thankful, you know, for churches that are going, you know, that are holding fast to the Word of God. You know, some churches can get off. They can, you know, decide to do things. But I'll tell you, it's best to do things God's way, isn't it? And when you honor Scripture, when you honor Jesus for who He is, the risen Savior, uh, you're going to have life. You're going to have blessing. Uh, you're going to have people's lives being changed. And uh, so thank you for being one of those churches that holds fast to the Word of God. And, um, and I just believe God's wanting to do great things in the earth today. And there's some people maybe that aren't going to participate. But how many of you want to be a part of it? I want to be a part of it too. Well, Pastor Mark mentioned that we have a, a brand new book. And it was not due out until June the 9th. And I got into Tulsa, we got in Monday night, and on Tuesday, my publisher called and said, hey, your book's in, it came in early. And I thought, wonderful, because I'm leaving for California tomorrow, you know, that was this morning, and so I was able to swing by and pick it up, and um, this is the book, it's called The Workbook, What We Do Matters to God. And let me just real quickly tell you what the chapters are. Um, if I can find the table of contents, uh, chapter one is the works of God. He's still at it. Chapter two is the works of Jesus. His works reveal the father chapter three, why we work finding our purpose chapter four, how we work rolling up our sleeves and getting the job done. Chapter five works that glorify God beyond the workplace, volunteerism and labors of love. The work of the ministry, serving God is not for the lazy. The judgment of our works, we will answer to Jesus. The works we reject, not all works are good works. And the final chapter, which we need this too, works and rest, uh, pacing ourselves for the long haul. So those are the chapters, and we do have that out there tonight. Uh, as many, you know, as last we'll sign, and if we run out, we'll ship them to you with no shipping charge. But I want to share with you a little bit. Uh, not, I was going to share this whether the book was here or not. That didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, but I want to share with you what this book, uh, where it was born from. 
And months ago, uh, before I started writing this book and before I even decided to focus on this topic, I was reading through the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6, um, and, and first of all, you remember what the book of Nehemiah was about, right? Uh, Israel, the, the people of Jerusalem and Judea had been taken captive for 70 years. They were in the Babylonian captivity, and they were basically slaves during that time. And when the Babylonians or any of those empires would take a whole group of people, slaves, what they, they would always destroy their city so that the people would not be tempted to go back. And they had destroyed Jerusalem. They had destroyed the walls, you know, which was their only means of protection. But after 70 years of captivity, uh, people began to come back. And uh, God sent Nehemiah with an assignment. And that was to lead the people in a great project of rebuilding the broken walls. Uh, so that they would once again have a respectable city, uh, so that they could have protection and dignity and so on. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, I was just reading through this, uh, you know, as I'd done at different times. And, and uh, Nehemiah 4, 6, is, it's, a pro, it's a progress report. Uh, they'd only been working for 26 days. Uh, but it says, so we built the wall. And the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. I mean, they were only halfway finished, but, you know, it's, a, it's an update. It's a progress report. And, and this last part really just grabbed my spirit. They, got the, they, they were halfway finished with the job because the people had a mind to work. And, and what that refers to is, is a determination a resolve, there was an eagerness. And when you read the book of Nehemiah, what you find out is that everybody did their fair share. Everybody took a section of the wall. And when I read that phrase, because the people had a mind to work. And I, I immediately thought about that verse and I, I asked a question. Just within myself, I said, well, God, they did something amazing. They actually finished this work in 52 days. It was considered miraculous how quickly they rebuilt the walls. But halfway through, it, it just says, because the people had a mind to work. And in my heart, I asked this question. God, does the church have a mind to work today? They had a mind to work. They had a goal. They had a project. They had something. They had a purpose that they were uh, attaining. And they applied themselves to it yeah. diligently and completely. And I said, Lord, they had a mind to work. Do we have a mind to work today? Do believers have a mind to work? And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't very happy with my, my thoughts about that. <laughs> Because I said, well, God, you know, I'm, I, I know a lot of wonderful believers. I know a lot of people that love you. And, and I know some that are really hard workers. But I said, you know, to be honest, I said, a lot of people today have a mind to receive. A lot of people have a mind to be blessed. A lot of people have a mind to be encouraged. Uh, a lot of people have a mind to receive healing, to receive... And I said, all that's good, but, but Lord, do people today have a mind to work? And all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, I personally, I've written a book on grace. 
And how many of you know grace is awesome? Yeah. You know, it's by the grace of God that we're saved and, and so on. But, but, you know, when you look at one of the most important verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2.8, um, it says, it talks about the significance of grace. And it says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. Aren't you glad you're saved? Grace, what God did for us, and faith is our just acceptance of it. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Aren't you glad for His gift? And, and gifts, plural, and salvation, forgiveness, and so on. And verse 9, the very next verse, says it's not of works. How many of you know your salvation is not something you earned or something that you worked for? Uh, it's a gift from God. And some of us came out of backgrounds where we thought we had to earn our salvation. How many of you, kind of like me, thought that you'd go to heaven if you were good enough? If you did enough good things? If you belonged to the right church? If, if you went through the right rituals and so on and so forth? Um, but, but we learned that our salvation is a gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. So how, we don't have anything to brag about, do we? You know, we're not going to heaven and saying, well, Lord, I get to come to heaven because I was an usher in the church. I, I cleaned the church. I preached in the church. I sang in the... None of us are going to heaven because of anything we did of our own performance or our own efforts. You know, the love of God is unconditional. His salvation is a gift from God. But see this phrase, not of works... I think has caused some people who used to be maybe spiritual workaholics to all of a sudden think, well, works, it's not of works, so works are no big deal, right? But did you know what the next verse says? The next verse, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. So we know right there that God is a worker, don't we? We are his workmanship. And some of us are really a piece of work, aren't we? How many of you would say, not only say, I, I am God's workmanship, and He's not finished with me yet? Anybody here besides me and Pastor Mark, a work in progress? Um, you know, we're still growing. None of us are perfect yet. But, but we are His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You were made for works. You're not saved by works. But we were saved unto good works. Works, here's another way to say it. Works are not the root of our salvation. But works are supposed to be the fruit of our salvation. Works are not the cause of our salvation. But works are supposed to be a result from our salvation. Now... Um, not just works in general, but notice what it says. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you know what that means? God created you to accomplish certain works. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, and not just every kind of work, but to good works which God ordained. And see, our, our responsibility in life is to find out, okay, God, what works are they that you ordained beforehand for me to do? Yeah. 
We were created for a specific purpose. And here's one thing. Uh, God will have equipped you already for the works that you are to do. Now, you might polish some of those things up with some training, education, experience, whatever. But, but you will have certain internal, both natural skills and spiritual giftings. See, I'm pretty sure that the good works that God ordained for me beforehand had nothing to do with opera singing. Because I, I am not equipped for opera singing. And I'm pretty sure... Uh, you know, because I tried this a little bit, that, that God's plan for my life did not include playing in the NBA. Um, and by the way, congratulations to the Warriors. I hope you guys do great. But, but God will have equipped you specifically for the good works which He ordained for you and for me. Now, I, I know this is not a problem here in this church because I know Pastor Mark and Brenda and the team that minister, you know, gives you great balanced messages. But there are some churches in this country today that if you get up and tell people about work, then they're going to start, well, you're preaching legalism. You know, you're putting me under bondage. Uh, we're just called to receive the blessings of God. We're just called to rest in the finished work of Christ. Well, sure, we're, but, but, but we were created for a purpose. And, um, you know, God himself... This is one of the things we go into the book. God himself is the ultimate worker. In Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, the very first thing we learn about God is that in the beginning God created everything and that was his work. Genesis 2, 2 says, and on the seventh day God ended his his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Work which he had made, and verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work. I mean, in the very first page of your Bible, you know, probably it may be on the second page, but it, three times in those two verses it talks about God being a worker. And um, all through, for example, all through the book of Psalms, it, it, they, it is a constant praising of God for His work in creation. You know, God did work, and that's why we were created and redeemed. God continues to work, and that's why we are strengthened. And God will work, and that's why we have a future and a hope. Uh, but all through the book of Psalms, it's just, and we list them all in the book, it's just verse after verse after verse where God is praised for his work yes. in creation. When you get into the prophets, uh, what you find out is that, is that sometimes it talks about God's work in creation, but the emphasis shifts to that God works on behalf of his covenant people Israel. He worked to bring them out of bondage. He works to sustain them and, and all those kinds of things. And then you come into the New Testament and Jesus, here's a great statement from Jesus in uh, John chapter 5 verse 17. John the 5th chapter and the 17th verse. My father worketh hitherto and I work. Jesus, and to put that in modern English, Jesus said, and, and some of the translations put it this way, My Father is always working. 
I think the Amplified says, My Father is always working. He has never ceased working. What does it say, Miss Brenda? Yeah. Pastor he has Brenda? He never ceased working. He has he never is ceased working. working. He is still working. And I, too, must be at divine work. So Jesus recognized that the Father was continuing to work. Do you know on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, and the 120 were speaking in tongues, and the people from around the city came to hear them, do you know what the people from the city said? They said, we hear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. And God worked special miracles by the hands of Paul. And then you go into the New Testament epistles, and it's all about explaining the work of Christ in the church. And statements like that we are His workmanship, and so on. And even in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 15, uh, verses, uh, maybe put up Revelation 15, 3. And let's see what that says. Yeah, in Revelation it says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord, uh, God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. So from Genesis to Revelation, God is a worker. Jesus is a worker. And how many of you know that we are called to be godly? How many of us understand that we are created in the image and the likeness of God? So if God is a worker, we're called to be workers. Just like God was creative and life-giving and things were produced from Him. How many of you have ever prayed, God, make me more like Jesus? Now, let me show you a couple things that Jesus said. John chapter 4, John the 4th chapter, and the 34th verse. Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Jesus was committed to finishing the work of God. And when Jesus said, my meat, he's referring to my food. In other words, he was saying, the thing that sustains me in life is is this idea of just doing the will of God. And can I just tell you this? Until we as believers, it is great to receive the gift of eternal life. It's great to accept Jesus and be saved and know that we're going to heaven when we die. But we were put on this earth more than to just get a ticket punched for heaven. We were put on this earth to do something and accomplish something for God. And that is not legalism. That is not bondage. That's not putting people under the law. That's just getting us connected to our divine purpose and our divine assignment. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of God and to finish the work of him that sent me. Let me show you something that Jesus said in John chapter uh, 9, verse 4. John chapter 9, verse 4. Jesus said here, John 9, 4, he said, I might. I perhaps. No, what did he say? He said, I must. I must what? I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. 
The night is coming when no man can can work. See, to Jesus, work was an imperative. It was not an option. It was not something that, you know, if I ever get around to it after I've watched all my favorite shows. It, it was a priority. It, it was an imperative. I must work the works of Him that sent me. And see, it wasn't a bondage. It, the love of God motivated Him to accomplish God's will for His life. And, and notice he had a sense of urgency about it. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. You know, we, we are finite beings here on this earth as far as our physical time. I'm not going to be here forever on this earth, in this body. Um, as much as we don't like to admit it, the Bible says the outward man perishes. And we don't, we don't have forever. We just have a limited time window and a limited opportunity. And, and Jesus acknowledged that. He said, there is coming a time when you're not going to be able to work. So what he's saying is, seize the day. Be proactive. Uh, you know, don't, don't wait. You know, put serving God last. Um, give God the fir- not only the first of your increase financially, but, but give God the best of your time, your energy, your effort, and really do everything you do for the glory of God. And see, I, I'm not a big end time teacher. I don't teach a lot on, you know... The second coming and the rapture and different things like that. Not that that's not important. That's just not my specific calling. I don't know when the last day is going to be. But here's what I know. Tomorrow is somebody's last day. I don't know when the end of the world is happening. But tomorrow, the end of the world is happening for somebody tomorrow. And so we need to be, you know, putting some... Like Brother Hagen used the word spizzerinktum in this thing. You know, uh, ask Pastor Mark what that means later. He'll explain it. But Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Now, here's another pa- interesting passage. I'm just hitting a couple highlights tonight. John chapter 14, verse 10. You, we know that Jesus did a whole lot of works, didn't he? What? Tell me some of the works Jesus did. Healing the sick. Teaching, preaching, casting out devils, feeding the multitudes. What, what some of they forgave people. He released them from condemnation. Um, you know, he spoke encouragement. He blessed little kids. You know, he, he did a lot. Of, we always think of the more dramatic works first, but he did a lot of things. He, just, he encouraged people. Uh, the Bible said he came to comfort the brokenhearted. Um, he came to uh, get liberty to the captives. You know, Jesus, his works were varied and many. Uh, did you ever stop to think that Jesus also did the work of a carpenter? He did what we call secular work, too. Did you know that Jesus spent six times longer as a carpenter than he did as a preacher? He was a carpenter for 18 years. He just preached for three and you know what? He, he did his carpentry work as unto the Lord, yeah. just as he did his preaching as unto the Lord. See, sometimes we've given people the idea 
that uh, only preaching work is important, but the fact of the matter is whatever we do for God is important. And God wants our whole life rendered unto Him as an offering. God doesn't see a big disconnect between our Sunday and our Monday, and we shouldn't either. Our whole lives are called to be an offering of worship. A friend of Pastor Mark and I, pastors down in Southern California, this pastor says to his church members, he said, every single one of you is a full-time minister. He said, some of you put on a painter's outfit and you go out during the week and paint houses. Some of you put on, you know, you're a nurse and you put on scrubs. Somebody else is a fireman. But he said, while you're doing that, that's your ministry. And you work harder than anybody else because you're doing it for God. And you let your light shine. And when you have opportunities, you tell people about Jesus. And at the end of the week, you get a paycheck. But that's your ministry. That's your mission field. The Bible says, whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. But Jesus said this. He said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Here's the point. Jesus didn't try to do everything in the energy of the flesh. He relied on the God who lived on the inside of him to live big through him. Brother Hagin always taught that we need to be more God inside minded. And if we really believe that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and if we really believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world... And if Jesus himself didn't try to do it in his own strength, but relied upon God living big through him, how much more should we have an understanding that we not only trust 100% in Jesus for our salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life, but we need to trust Jesus 100% for him and, and, and the whole Trinity to live through us. Now, right after Jesus said this, notice this, John 14, 10, The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. I want you to skip down two verses. John 14, 12. John, the 14th chapter, the 12th verse. And I want to look at a verse that has inspired some but intimidated far more. John 14:12 Jesus said most assuredly or verily verily I say unto you he that believeth on me Now let's just stop and see who qualifies how many of you believe on him He that believeth on me so this includes all of us right That doesn't just mean mental assent that you agree that he was a historical figure but it means you cling to him you rely upon him you trust in him yeah. He that believeth on me the works that I do he shall do also. How many of you would confidently and, and comfortably say with uplifted hand right now, I do the works of Jesus. Let me see your hand. I do the works of Jesus. Okay, 30% maybe. All right, let's see how we're doing on this second part. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. How many of you with uplifted hand right now will confidently and comfortably say, I do greater works than Jesus? Uh, okay, that, that's half right there. All right. 
One, two, three. We got three Pastor Marks trembling here. There's four down there. So, um, so let's talk about this. I'm seeing some other hands go up. I want to share something with you. If by greater works, Jesus meant more spectacular, I don't think we're there. No, no. I mean, what do you do greater than walking on water? So you're, you're going to do that work, and then you're going to do... So does that mean you're going to dance on water? Jesus walks, so you're going to do a greater... Jesus, Jesus raised the dead, and Lazarus came walking. So if you do greater, you're going to have somebody doing somersaults out of the... Out of the you can't do greater works than Jesus in terms of quality, can you? I don't think you can. And if that's what Jesus meant, then I, I, I'll be honest with you, that's, I can't get my brain around that. That's just too big for me. Forgive me for my unbelief or whatever. But just to think we're going to do greater quality works. But I want to propose to you today, number one, I want to propose that Jesus said we would do the works that he did. And number two, he did say that we would do greater work. And I believe Jesus. And I think he knew. And I think the key here is in this very last phrase, because I go to my Father. That's the key right there. He didn't say, you're, you're going to do the works I do and greater works because you're so awesome. No, we're not so awesome that we're going to do. We're, we're, anything we do, we're going to do because he went to the Father. And what's that code for? And the Holy Ghost came. Yeah, yeah. So we're not going to do it because we're hot, we're awesome, we're cool, we're, you know, powerful. We're going to do it because He went to the Father. But I want to propose to you today, number one, that we have been called to do the works of Jesus. And we, the church, have been called to do greater works. Now, let me ask you this. Could we do more than what we've done? Sure. Uh, should we do more in the future than what we've done? Sure. So I'm not trying to say that what we've done is the ultimate. I, I know that we can all increase. And I think we should have our hearts set toward that. But I'm going to propose this to you right now. That ever since Jesus rose from the dead, we've been doing, the church has been doing exactly what he said. We've been doing the works he did, and we've been doing greater works, and we're continuing to do greater works. Even though only about 30% of you raised your hand and said you do the works of Jesus, and only, even though only about four said you're doing greater works, I'm going to tell you the church has been doing the works of Jesus, and we have been doing greater works in four ways. Okay. Greater quality? No, I don't think we're going to do that. No. But here's, here's the four ways that I believe we, the church, not that we can't do better, not that we can't do more, but here's four ways I believe we have been doing the works of Jesus and greater works. Number one, we have been doing, the church as a whole body of believers, we have been doing greater works than Jesus geographically. Greater geographically. Do you realize Jesus ministered in a little tiny piece of real estate, Israel, I mean, other than when he was a child and taken as a refugee to Egypt for a little bit of time, you know, he, uh, he just spent all his time ministry in a pretty small location. Um, Pastor Mark, how many, you know, stop and think back over the years, 
how many missionaries, how many countries have you given missions offerings for, supported missionaries, even one time or regular? How many countries would you say this church has impacted in terms of missions giving? A lot of nations, maybe 30, 40, 50 nations probably, you know, whether it was a you know, one-time guest speaker or something. You know, this church has impacted many, many nations. Amen. You know, our ministry, my wife and I, we don't have a large ministry, but last year our, our website reached people in 219 nations and territories. Just our website, our little ministry. We just got back preaching in five different nations and... You stop and think about, you know, even the missionary, you know, you guys like Keith Hershey, I think, and, and uh, different ones that you guys support that are impacted. The body of Christ today, because Jesus went to the Father, is impacting greater and doing greater works than Jesus ever did geographically. Number two, the church today, and from the time of the early apostles to today, we have done greater works than Jesus numerically. I mean, the devil thought he had this thing figured out. He thought when he killed Jesus and had Jesus put to death on the cross, the devil thought he had it all worked out. And the next thing he knows, Jesus is raised from the dead. He's ascended to the Father, and the Holy Ghost is poured out. And now there's 120 Jesuses running around with the same anointing and power that Jesus had. And you understand what I mean by that. I, I know there's only one literal Jesus, but um, they have the same Holy Ghost power that anointed him. And then from then on, people... Do you know today that there are millions of people around this earth that are born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit... And, and I know not everybody is seeing all the extreme miracles, but hey, there's a lot of people that are. There's a lot of people that have gifts of miracle or gifts of healings, working of miracles. There's people being raised from the dead. There's blind people. I have one friend that I follow. He's a good friend of mine. Every time he does a crusade in Africa, which is all the time, there's 50 deaf people getting healed. There's blind people. There's paralyzed people getting up. I know we don't see that everywhere. We'd love to see that more. But I'm telling you what, the works of Jesus are being done all over the earth today. And, and, and you may not move in miracles and, and those things, but you know, every time you comfort somebody that's downcast, you've just done one of the works of Jesus. Every time you encourage somebody, every time you tell somebody, hey, you know what, you don't need to be under condemnation because Jesus has died for your sin, you can be free from that. You're doing the works of Jesus. And you're not doing greater quality works, but there's greater numerical works being done. Because now it's not just being done through the one person, Jesus, because he went to the Father. It's being done through his body. And there's millions of us doing that now. The church is doing greater works uh, numerically than Jesus. Number three, the church is doing greater works than Jesus spiritually. Now, that may sound hard to get on. Well, Jesus, he's the most spiritual person ever. Well, that's probably true. But, you know, when Jesus ministered, he had not yet died and shed his blood for anybody. So he could tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. But Nicodemus couldn't actually get born again until what? Until Jesus had gone to the Father. So every time that we see someone born again, we're doing a greater work than Jesus did spiritually. 
Now, we're not doing it because we're hot shots. We're do- he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. But because he went to the Father, we now get to be the ones that deliver the message yeah. and see people born again. Good. We get to see people spirit-filled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, we the church uh, are doing greater works than Jesus did in scope. In scope. You know, for example, Jesus, um, there were a couple of occasions, maybe it happened more often, but little kids came running up to him and he blessed them. I mean, that's wonderful, isn't it? Wouldn't you like your little kid to run up to Jesus and have Jesus bless your kid? But did you know that even though Jesus blessed little children, Jesus never started a full-fledged children's ministry with, you know, curriculum and activities and things like that. You know, when you guys have a children's ministry here, you know, it's more intensive than what Jesus did. Um, Jesus never started an orphanage. Jesus never started a Bible school. Jesus, let me say it this way, Jesus never started a local church. Jesus never started an internet ministry, a radio ministry... Um, you know, the church is doing things in scope today that are larger than what Jesus did, greater than what Jesus did. We're not superior to Jesus, but because he went to the Father and now he's doing it through his body, we get to see the greater works done. Okay? Now, do we want to see some more miracles and things like that? Sure. But we are doing, when Jesus said, He that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the... I want you to know the church is doing it today. And instead of being intimidated by that verse, let's grab hold of that verse and say, that's what we're doing. Let's, let's go ahead and pour our hearts, yeah. our lives, our finances, our energy, our effort, our gifts and our talents. And let's see that even more radically uh, coming to pass in our lives because Jesus uh, was a worker. And, and we've been called to be like Him. So I, my heart's cry is just that we will have the same uh, passion that we can say, my Father is always working and I must be working. Yeah. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night is come. See, the church is not a country club. The church is not a place just to come and, you know, hear some music and hear a nice sermon. The church is a place to come and get equipped. The church is a place to come and, yes, get blessed and, yes, get fed. But we're here to roll up our sleeves and to do the works that Jesus did and even greater works. Uh, than Jesus because he's gone to the Father. We are now his body. And uh, he is relying. See, just I have my phone over on the deal so I can check the time. If my head wants the phone, my will cannot do anything unless my body cooperates. If my head says, I'd sure like to look and see what time it is, I'm not going to find out unless my feet walk me over here, unless my hand reaches down and pushes the button and I can find out that it's 837. The fact that my head wanted it didn't cause anything to happen until my body cooperated. 
And the body has to work in conjunction with the will of the Father. That's how Jesus operated. That's how we, the body of Christ, are. See, when we preach Jesus, we're not preaching a head without a body. And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a body without a head. We're talking about Christ in us, the hope of glory, a head and a body that is coordinated with the head. And we're here to carry out the will of God on the earth. We're here to be workers. Why? Because God is a worker, because Jesus is a worker, because we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, thank God, rest is a part of the package. We're not called to be workaholics or to, you know, work ourselves to an early death. But we're here on earth to make a difference. Jesus said this. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we reject evil works, works of the flesh, works of the law, dead work. But I'll tell you what, there's works we embrace because that's what we were born for. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your people tonight. Thank you that this is a working church. Thank you that, Father, we have the privilege to be here on earth to make a difference, to let our light shine, to do good works that will bless people. And, Father, don't let us think that everything has to be dramatic and sensational. Jesus, you said that if we even gave a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, we would not lose our reward. So help us to see value in everything that we do. Let every action of our life, whether it's in the church, or in the home or in the neighborhood, in the workplace, Father. Let everything that we do be for your glory and for your honor. And we thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Pastor Mark, I'm going to turn it to you. God bless you. Thanks so much.